Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. EPL Roundtable. Today's show will be a little different as we have three segments brought to you by some guests that have been on in the past and we very much enjoyed speaking with them. Up first will be Jamie Smith talking about all things Burnley, then Peter on to discuss what's been going on at Hull City, and then Andrew Gibney will talk to us about transfers that were made for French players in January and wants to look forward to in the summer. Now joining us is Jamie Smith who was on the podcast all the time last year and hopefully will be again when, not if, Burnley come back up. Jamie, what's the, yeah, right? what's the news out of Burnley this week? Uh, well, we played in the Cup on Saturday at Arsenal. Um, it, it was a good game. I felt like we gave a, a pretty good account of ourselves. There were times when I don't think it was evident that there was a whole division between the teams. Obviously, we're going quite well. Arsenal are in contention for the title. But in the first half in particular, I felt we matched them quite well. Um, we had a fantastic chance right at the start, Andre Gray should have scored or either squared it to Sam Volks and it would have been easy I think for the team to then go into their shell a bit and think oh we've had our chance and now we just need to try and get through to half time but after Arsenal scored and they scored a very good goal I felt like we had a period where we were really on top we scored a good goal in reply and there was a 10 maybe 15 minute spell before the break when we were controlling the game and considering we'd made a couple of changes as well okay Arsenal had made nine I think but we had a couple of players that aren't usually in the side featuring and and I, I felt like we played really well I think it was a really good indication for next season if we do come up that we've got the chance to compete um, second half Arsenal started really well scored another goal that we couldn't do that much about and after that Arsenal just showed their experience I felt and caused the game out quite well but really happy with how it went I felt like we gave a, a very good account of ourselves and, and showed that we, we're capable of competing on that level, although we've got to get promoted from the championship first. Yeah, uh, also big thing that happened yesterday as we're recording this, uh, the end of the transfer window, you brought in James Tarkovsky, but a somehow even bigger storyline was Sean Dyche and his war of words over Middlesbrough spending tons of money. That didn't change yesterday as they brought in both Jordan Rhodes and Richie Delat, who they brought on loan from Leicester. What's your reaction to that whole saga? Uh, well, Tarkovsky first is a player that we've been trying to sign for some time. I think before he even moved to Brentford, when he was still at Oldham Athletic in the, the third division, I think we were looking at him. But he went to Brentford instead. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons that this financial thing has become so big is that I think all transfer fees these days seem to be undisclosed. So the press essentially makes up a number in a lot of the time. So Tarkovsky's been reported by some people as £6 million plus add-ons, which is absolute nonsense because it's actually about £3 million plus £3 million in add-ons. It's obviously totally different. 
Um, the thing with Middlesbrough, I think it's it's mind games as much as anything else. Um, we have spent a bit of money this season. Obviously, Andre Gray came for big money. Again, that was inflated by the press. It was a £6 million fee rising to nine. The press have gone with £9 million rising to God knows how much. Um, but the perception, I think, from some of the other clubs is that Daesh has been a bit hypocritical. Um, now, I can understand this viewpoint because he was talking about clubs like Middlesbrough and Derby County who have spent money. Derby in particular, I think they've invested about £25 million on players this season. And then I think it was about a week after those comments that we went out and spent money on Gray. Um, one thing I would point out on, on the Gray deal is that £6 million on Gray is a lot of money but it's similar to the amount of money we can expect to receive for Danny Ings when they eventually sort out his tribunal fee for Liverpool. Um, so he's, he's a direct replacement for Ings, essentially, and you've got to spend comparable money to bring in a comparable quality player. Um, I think the, the issue has been that some of the, the press have stoked the fire a bit whenever Daesh mentions Middlesbrough even in passing in a press conference. The newspaper's up there leap upon it, gets lots of easy clicks from fans getting them worked up about it. So I think it's it's become a bigger thing than it needs to be. I think there's also a little bit of jealousy that we have done it in a more affordable way. Two years ago, we got promoted and we spent £450,000 on players. This season, we've invested a bit more, but we've still pretty much spent what we've brought in. Whereas um, Derby in particular, as I've said, spent heavily without having sales. Middlesbrough spent a lot of money on players like Jordan Rhodes. That deal apparently came out of the chairman's back pocket. Don't know how that fits in with financial fair play, but fair enough, they can do it the wrong way. So, yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a sideshow, really. I'd rather we concentrated on the football on the pitch. It's all a bit of an unnecessary distraction for me, but from Dash's point of view, I think he sees it as a way to add pressure on Middlesbrough, especially now they've spent about £9 million on a striker. They're in the top two. Everyone expects them to get promoted. Karanka's come out and said that the pressure's on us because we're chasing them, but they've spent a small fortune. They're in the driving seat. And I think they've lost a couple of their recent games, so maybe a couple of signs that that pressure is starting to tell. Yeah, you mentioned that you're currently in third place, four off Middlesbrough, five off the top. Right now, how confident are you that you'll be back in the Premier League next year? I'm confident. I mean, there's a lot of football to play, but I think we're in a good patch of form at the moment and momentum is key, I think, once you get to this stage of the season. The games come thick and fast. You're playing twice a week a lot of the time. You can get on a run of wins. You can quite quickly start to put distance between yourselves and the other teams. I think our place in the top six is virtually assured now. I think it would be incredible if we don't finish in at least the playoffs. Um, top two is obviously a jump. But we have hunted Middlesbrough down. They were a long way clear of us until a few weeks ago. We went up there and won in the FA Cup. I think that was a big thing for our our confidence. And the team has taken a lot from that. We won three away games in the space of a week, which is almost unheard of. And... Um, this might come out after we play on, on Tuesday night at Wednesday, but we play before Middlesbrough, so that gap could be one point by the time they play again. And that pressure is really going to start to build. We've got to play Hull at home, Middlesbrough at home. It's in our hands, and I really fancy us at the moment. 
Well, as a completely unbiased person, let me just say that, uh, yeah, we want you to win those matches and come back up to the Premier League. Um, you mentioned a little bit there uh, where you want to talk more about on the pitch. Obviously, Andre Gray's been incredible for you. But aside from him, what other players have really been key in the success you've had up to this point? I think Gray's been the catalyst, really. I read someone suggesting that if we hadn't signed Gray, would be in danger of relegation, which is a bit of a stretch. But he certainly made a big difference. And it's vital to have a player you can re- you can rely on to score regular goals. Um, it's, it's difficult to pick players out because I think it's been a real team effort all season. Um, but a couple of players have definitely pushed us on to the next level. Gray being an obvious one. Joey Barton's been absolutely fantastic. I had doubts when we signed him. Obviously, he's had a, a checkered history, I think is a fair way to put it. He's had his fair share <laughs> of problems on and off the pitch, but he's been absolutely spot on for us. No problems at all. A lot of teams try and kick him out of the game, try and get him riled, get him worked up. They think that they can get him into a, a mindset where the red mist descends and he gets himself sent off. Hasn't worked. He's been completely zen for us. Runs the show in midfield and he scored a couple of goals recently too. Um, and at the back, Michael Keane, I think it's been fantastic. Especially in the last few weeks, he was playing on the left side of defence. He's moved to the right side because of a bit of a reshuffle. Wouldn't expect it to make that much difference, but he looks a lot more comfortable on that side. His right side's his strongest side. He's started to lead the defence. He's only young, but it looks like he's going to go a long way. I think at the start of the season, Rio Ferdinand said he's one of the best three young defenders in England. And he's starting to show that that's, that's not just hyperbole. I think he's really going to be up there. And it would be no surprise if, if big clubs were working at him in the summer. All right, and lastly, we talked about this last time you were on as well. Obviously, Ings and Trippier both go uh, to teams that, that stayed up in the Premier League. Trippier finally really turning it on for Tottenham. Danny Ings started doing quite well before his long-term injury. Uh, I know Gray has replaced Ings well, but have you really strengthened at the back to replace Trippier's absence, or has that really not proven to be that large of an issue for you? I think it was a problem at the start of the season. Um, Trippier had been our main creative outlook, really, for two or three years. So to replace that and his energy and his character in the dressing room, I think the whole package was quite tricky. Um, the guy we brought in to replace him as well, Matthew Lowton from Aston Villa, he got injured in the week before the season started. So we ended up playing a young lad that we brought in from Chesterfield, I think, in League One, um, Tendai Dariqua who did quite well, but he was obviously quite raw, adapting to a step up in class and he was developing, but you could tell that there were still areas of his game that he really needed to work on. In the last few weeks, Lyson's come into the side and he looks like a much more natural replacement for Trippier. He scored a couple of goals, got a few assists. He's really comfortable on the ball. I think since we made that change with Lyson coming in, Keane moving across, Stephen Ward's coming at left back, the defence looks totally different. We've not lost, I don't think, with that lineup. I think that's been the, the the difference. When Trippier left, we all thought it was going to be a nightmare to replace him, but Lyson's been fantastic. And considering he only cost a million pounds, I think it's been a real bargain for us. Awesome. Any final thoughts? Just we were talking before you, we started recording about um, Pritchard, the, the young Spurs midfielder, who mm. looked like he was going to come on loan to Burnley. I, I just think it's such a shame that he chose to go to West Brom instead. West Brom have just had um, the lad from Arsenal, Serge Gnabry, yeah. 
go back because he wasn't getting a game. I think Pritchard's going to be exactly the same there. There was also the, the link with Andre Gray. They played together at Brentford. I thought that could be really fruitful. He's got a chance to play regular football in a team challenging for promotion. And instead, he's gone to play for a manager who, let's face it, he's not known for picking creative players. It's difficult to see how Pritchard's going to get a game there. I think he could have made a difference for us. I think it's a real shame that he's chosen to go to West Brom. Yeah, and Tarkovsky was at Brentford as well, right? Tarkov, yeah. Like our sporting director, he left to go to Rangers a, mm. a few months ago, but he was at Brentford before that. So our scouting database just seems to be players who played for Brentford at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 as a Spurs fan, would have much rather had Pritchard uh, go to Burnley. Obviously, he had the choice of, of the four sides, and it looked like he was going to go to Burnley until we got the offer from Albion at the last minute, which I've seen some Spurs fans say, was about trying to get Barahino. I really don't think that was the case. I think he just wanted to stay in the Premier League, but I agree. I think that was a bit of a short-sighted move. Um, we, we've seen it with Spurs players in the past trying to make Premier League loans. They rarely go as well as when they go down a level and then really prove themselves again. Richard wasn't the team of the year last year, though, right, for the championship? Yeah, it was really, really good, and I think... I was talking to a friend about this and he made the point that footballers always back themselves to go into a team and do well. And you look at the West Brom players that he's going to be challenging for, players like James McLean. Yeah, he probably thinks he's better than him, but McLean's a favourite of Pulis despite his, his various transgressions. And it's just difficult to see how, how a young player like that breaks into a, a club, especially one who they play quite quite route one football really I don't think Pritchard's going to get on the pitch and if he does is he going to get the ball to feet is he going to get it in and around the box where he wants it it just seems a real waste for me but I can understand his part of view where he thinks he can play in the Premier League but I think realistically he's just not going to play in the Premier League he's going to sit on the bench if he's lucky <laughs> you know what I've just had a thought maybe his plan was I'll sit next to Berahino and convince him to come back to Tottenham with me <laughs> maybe that is the thought process <laughs> Oh, right. West Brom sit on the bench and have a word inside all <laughs> Just every day. Hey, hey, say no. Leave me alone, Alex. No, no. Hey, hey. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Tottenham. That was a funny tweet last night. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. Well, Jamie, an absolute pleasure having you back on. Tell the folks where they can find you. No problem. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jamie Smith. That's S M I F F Robin Smith. And also, you can listen to our podcast, which is Burnley FC related, but sometimes covers. Um, the championship as a whole that's at nonenever.net all right and now joining us is peter from Tigerlink, the whole city site peter what's been going on over at hull lately you know obviously we're absolutely delighted because we had a little phase where we had three very bad away defeats at uh, places like leeds and rotherham and uh, somewhere else and um we didn't look very good to be honest and it was a concern, but we seem to have picked up. We had a slightly fortunate win at uh, Queen's Park Rangers live on the TV, and suddenly the side's looking good again. And we we haven't spent a lot of money this season. We've just acquired a goalkeeper from uh, Slovakia in the transfer, the transfer deadline, and Nick Powell from Manchester United, mm. who's one of these young guys who's quite well known, who came from Crew for decent money a while ago and has played in the Champions League, but never quite made it, never been in any manager's plans. And I think given that Manchester United, you know, are uh, 
willing to let him go for six months and pay part of his wages, he's worth a pump to add to the squad for between now and the end of the season. Yeah, for very sure. Very pleased with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was a very nice signing indeed. Uh, just what's been happening at the club people to catch people up that haven't been aware? Yeah, uh, overall, we it's a very strange situation because we are doing exceptionally well on the on the field. Obviously, um, Adolf Hernandez is, is playing fantastically well and has won the crowd over. And some of the Bruce's acquisitions are playing very well and we're looking good as a team. Behind the scenes, the the ghost of the name change still exists in that we have our owners, the Alam family, who at the start of the season decided they weren't going to attend games anymore. This perhaps being a little bit of sulk following the FA's decision to refuse their name change request. Now, ironically, since they decided not to attend, uh, we haven't lost our... <laughs> Apart from a Friday night against Derby when we just didn't start live on Sky. And we've got a fantastic home record. But uh, it's clear that they are a little bit grumpy and I suspect are not making funds available. So when stories were doing the rounds about perhaps trying to spend big money on people like Ross McCormack, those of us in the know were slightly sceptical about that. Because I think we're back in one of these situations where we don't spend money unless we can actually make it somewhere. And uh, I think the little bit of money available has been spent on this goalkeeper and Nick Powell. And I think without being cruel to Bruce uh, in any way, because he, he's managing the club very well, they were both cheap and sensible cut price options. And so I do suspect that behind the scenes, he does have, have his hands tied financially. So there's this sort of... Um, Unrest behind the scenes, which has disappeared because of the poor performances on the pitch. But our fear is that our owner, who technically has the, the, the club up for sale still, will want to have a last pop uh, at the fans or do something rash and wild before he, he vacates the KC. And that's a bit of a concern. Um, we talked with uh, Jamie, our, our Burnley correspondent, earlier. Uh, and he was talking about this uh, uh, issue that a lot of Burnley supporters and indeed their manager, Sean Dyche, have with Middlesbrough spending tons of money uh, in the window. Is that a, a feeling that you echo is, is since you're kind of holding back on the money, which you just mentioned? Yeah, well, it's sort of been forced upon us. I, I, I would have liked to have thought that, you know, money would have been made available for a striker, I'll be honest. Whether we actually got one or not. I'm slightly frustrated that because of our owner's friction with the club, he wasn't willing to make money available. Having said that, we did we were in for Jordan Rhodes and had three or four bids refused. Uh, trying to think when it was. It might have been the start of the season or, or during last season. And um, I like Jordan Rhodes, but you know, I don't particularly see him as that much better than, than Abel Hernandez. So I'm, I'm not brokenhearted that they've spent lots of money and we haven't, if you see what I mean. I mean, we beat Middlesbrough comprehensively at home. We play them in about a month's time. And they are, I think, a little bit Steve Bruce-like in the way they play and that they do very much build from the back. And I suspect they were more in need of a striker than we were. 
Uh, I'm not anti-Middlesbrough. There's a little bit of, if we draw the traditional Yorkshire boundaries, there's a little bit of Yorkshire rivalry there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't sort of detest them or anything like that in the same way that Hulsty fans traditionally detest Leeds United. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's the local <laughs> rival, really. Uh, but I respect Middlesbrough for the way they've played this season because it has been very much like the Steve Bruce style, you know. Uh, it's not always pretty, but it's effective because they basically, you know, keep it tight at the back and wait for things to happen up front. Yeah. And... To some extent, that's how we got promoted the first time under Steve Bruce. And, you know, you can't knock it. It's very difficult to play super sparkling, entertaining, attacking football and get yourself promoted to the Premier League. You have to have that hard, that hard edge of realism, which I think Steve Bruce has got. If I were to criticise him, it is around that, that, that point that I think all fans of clubs as he's managed would say he is a little bit plan A and no plan B in that if you go a goal down, he's not always the most, uh, he, he, he hasn't really got that flexibility sometimes to, to chase a game and to score two or three goals when you're a goal down. And I think that's something he needs to add to his managerial CV. Yeah. Um, well, another uh, thing that kind of links you to Middlesbrough is you're currently top of the league, uh, one clear of them, five clear of third place. How confident are you of both winning the league and getting promoted to the Premier League? Yeah, I think it's a crucial few weeks coming up. I mean, we play Burnley on Saturday, the key game, and frankly, if we get a point or a win there, that could be that could be one of the most important uh, results of the season. We, we have been top already this season on the back of a five-game unbeaten run, I think it was, or five straight wins, and a club record of clean sheets. And strange enough, when we got to the top of the league, we suddenly started playing poorly. And I think it does carry a certain pressure in that people want to beat the league leaders. So I'd like to see particularly some good form in the next two or three weeks so that we consolidate a position at the top, and particularly you know, in, in the top two. Because I did notice we are stretching out quite nicely you know, compared with fifth and sixth. So you know, we're well up there now, and we can have no excuses. Any sort of reasonable form, and we should be in the mix come Easter and the end of the season. Uh, I think, crucially, we need to maintain our very good home form and score the goals. We are scoring more goals. We are being a little bit more um, attacking at home than perhaps we have been in previous seasons. But I think it's vital we do keep this fantastic home record going because I'm still less than convinced by us away. We do, we do struggle a little bit away from home, particularly if we go a goal behind. We seem to be classically late starters you know, we, we'll start playing really well after 35 minutes when we're a goal down and the other side has got confidence. And I think we we just need to impose ourselves on, on on clubs a little bit more. In terms of individuals, I mean, we've got a lot of individuals playing well. A young lad called Stan Klukas, who was signed from uh, Chesterfield in the summer, when raised a few eyebrows with people with it being a fairly low-key signing, has gone from strength to strength, and he's playing very well in wide positions and linking up very well with, with Robertson at left-back. 
Um, we've also got Livermore get you know getting back to playing well. Huddleston isn't a regular in the side, but he's playing better. And of course, you know Hernandez has, as I say, won over the fans, and he's playing really well. If uh, only a couple of people had predicted that last year. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very pleased that Tiger Link that we we were big fans of his from the start. And when I drew up a list of 10 reasons why we went down last season, one of them was that dear old Brucey, who I, you know, I love to bits, but does have his, his bad moments. I, I think he got a little bit obsessed with Sonia Luko and Nikita Jelovic, you know, and that Jelovic became a bit of a talisman. And then he got injured and had dreadful knees and clearly wasn't fit. And yet he kept playing him. And, um, you know, obviously he's a little bit fitter now, but he still hasn't really pulled up any trees at West Ham, has he? Uh, and I think he's moving on from West Ham. So, um, you know, I think Hernandez represents somebody who wasn't used as well as he could have been last season and could have kept us up. And so personally, as someone who supported him from the outset, absolutely delighted to see him, first of all, getting goals uh, and secondly, getting the recognition he deserves from the fans because he's become a firm favourite. Uh, you know, it's fantastic to see. The sort of random factor is that we have uh, Tuber Akpom, England under-19 player, on loan from Arsenal, who scored a hat-trick in the Cup at uh, Bury on Saturday, who's a player of great ability, but has perhaps a, a few problems with what we might term attitude. Uh, um, and, the you know, he's, he's kicked the, to- the toys out of the pram, a lot of the toys out of the pram a few times, in games where he's been substituted, most noticeably, I think, uh, live on TV. It might even have been the Derby game at home or, or even Reading away, I can't remember. But uh, he's come back and answered Steve Bruce in the best possible way by scoring a hat-trick at Bury in the Cup. He'd been out the side for a while. And that's very encouraging to ha- have him. Um, one of the, the cruel ironies, of course, in terms of our FA Cup run is that Akpom is on loan from Arsenal. And who do we draw in the next round of the yet cup? Again. Dear old, dear old <laughs> Arsenal again, yet again. Uh, having played them in a cup semi-final, I think, in or quarter-final in 1930 and lost to them, I don't think we played them more than a couple of times in the next 80 years and then have drawn them three times in the last two or three years. And it's not the easiest tie. And, of course, Akpom won't be able to, say, to play. Uh, and neither will Isaac Hayden, who was also with us from Arsenal. So, uh, yeah, that's just one of the strange quirks of fate that makes the <laughs> FA Cup so wonderfully attractive. <laughs> yeah. But no, a little, little bit cheesed <laughs> off that we've got Arsenal again, to be honest. Hard, uh, hard not to be. You know, they're hosted yeah. by the Emirates. Uh, feel yeah. free to enter conspiracy theories here. Um, well, there are, believe it or not, I mean, there, there's been a lot on our social media about this because, mm. of course, I don't even remember uncannily, I believe when the, the last time we, draw, we drew them... Um, not long after the FA Cup final, we were the first two drawn out of the hat. <laughs> Is that right? I think so. And uh, no, so to get them again, it's, you know, someone put on social media what it was statistically, but it's one in, you know, Millions thousands and thousands, a hell of a <laughs> lot. Uh, uh, so I don't know about conspiracy theories, but certainly it's one hell of a coincidence. Mm, <laughs> and, for sure. Uh, but I mean, you know, frankly, if we'd have drawn them at home, I think at the moment, the way we are at home, we'd have given, you know, we'd give anyone a game. And I think if we'd managed to get a goal up against Arsenal, 
uh, and the crowd behind us, we'd have had a, a chance. I think probably away at the Emirates, you know, I'm not being overly negative, but it'll be tough. And I'd like to think we could get a nil-nil and get them back to the KC. You mentioned a couple of players there in Abel Hernandez, who we are known lovers of on this podcast, uh, and also uh, Samuel Kukas. For those listening that aren't following the championship, Abel Hernandez has 15 goals, which is second best in the league, and Kukas has seven assists, which is second best in the league. Um, so obviously very good performances from them. You mentioned Andrew Robertson a little bit earlier there at our kind of exit meeting <laughs> episode the end of last year. You said he was the player you thought was most likely to stay with the Premier League side. Um, maybe make a transfer in the summer when you guys went down. You've managed to retain him. How vital has he been to your first place position right now? Yeah, it, it's a great relief to have kept him. He probably didn't play his best football in the first part of the season, but I think he's steadily improving. And there's no doubt he has huge potential. And I'm actually quite pleased that he hasn't been that spectacular because I think it's helped us keep him. Uh, I suspect that he's good enough to say to himself that he'll give it until the end of the season with Hull City and maybe one more season before looking elsewhere. But uh, I retain my confidence in his ability and I'm delighted that he stayed with us because he has got that sort of X factor in that he's got real pace on the left-hand side and one of those left-foot crosses that when whipped in cause mayhem for defences. There aren't that many players who can do that, you know, really put some sort of curve on the ball and and get across him as well as he does. So there's more to come from him. He's still young. He has the odd bad game, but uh, delighted that that we've managed to keep him. Awesome. Do you have any uh, final thoughts for the folks that are listening? Uh, you would just really to say that, you know, uh, Hull City are top of the league and we are extremely proud of that. Uh, we, just to reiterate again, next year, 2017, Hull is the UK city of culture. It's achieved this status a couple of years ago. And the idea is that this gives a focus for the city across the world and that we try and sell a very unfashionable city to the rest of the world. And obviously, having a successful football club will sit very comfortably with this year of publicity when it is intended that we have uh, sort of very interesting and items of national interest every day of the year. Uh, Thus far, we've got bits and pieces like the Turner Prize and things like this, and, and this will grow as they're announced through 2016. But there is going to be a huge focus on Hull in 2017 you're going to hear a lot about it nationally in your papers and even if you hate the place or don't know the place and need to get the map out to find out where it is you're going to hear a lot about it and we at tiger link and all city supporters and supporters groups will be delighted if that year is complemented with Hull city in the premier league and we are quietly optimistic that we will get there awesome well thanks so much for coming on and best of luck for the remainder of the season that's a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. All right, next joining us is Andrew Gibney, noted French football expert, uh, joining us to talk a little bit about the incoming French players this window. Now, Andrew, after the last transfer window, we mentioned a few players that had come in, like Payet and Kabai, uh, and how they would impact the Premier League. This is January, we've had more incomings in Kazri Kone and Boulay Saive. 
Which of the incoming French players were you most impressed by? Ooh, I'm a big fan of Henri Sevi to begin with. Uh, I think his transformation from like a, a winger to a central midfielder has been a bit of it was a bit of a masterstroke from from Willy Sanyo. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be at the Liverpool game in Europa League and got to speak to him about it. And just said that the, his athleticism and the sort of strength that he had, and combine that with sort of the the speed and skill on the ball, and he's turned into a really competent central midfielder and it's going to be interesting to see how that translates to the Premier League so he's one I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses I think Sundown have done really well I mean Coney is a big strong central defender he's, he's quite quick he's good on the ground he's exactly a, a Sam Allardyce kind of player but, and he's not going to be overawed by the physical challenges that the Premier League brings it's, it's not it's not the strength that the French players sometimes struggle with. It's the strength and the pace at the same time, and they can get a bit overawed by that. And I think I think he'll be okay. Then in Wabi Kazri, uh, when you look at what Newcastle did before with Florian Tovan and Remy Cabela, really lightweight sort of playmakers. Kazri's a playmaker, but he's a lot stronger and bullish. He's not going to get pushed off the ball. He's not going to be sort of uh, overawed by that that physical challenge. He quite likes that and he gets stuck in while bringing a bit of skill and flair at the same time and he's fantastic from set pieces I think if Sunderland are looking for more creativity up front a bit more solid at the back that's, that's two good signings and then Stoke blew out the water bringing in uh, Jane Elian Buller on transfer deadline day and it's, it's weird about him really because six months ago he was one of the hottest things going and Marseille knew they were going to make a profit off him Bielsa really turned him into a bit of a bit of a star at the Velodrome. And now played like ten games in the league for Porto. Wasn't really in the coach's plans. They they sacked him in January and new coaches come in. Obviously still not in his in his plans. And now Mark Hughes has got him and when you look at the way Stoke play, they're playing four, two, three, one. That's the exact same formation where Ambula played so good for Marseille. When he's got someone maybe like Glenn Woolen beside him, a defensive rock able to play box-to-box, push forward. He's long and leggy, a bit like Patrick Vieira in that sense. And still only under 25 years old, he's got a lot of, a lot of years left in him, and I think he could be a very, very good signing. All right, thank you for those takes. As I mentioned, in the summer, we talked about a lot of French players. One of the players that I didn't bring up, but I know you already had some opinions on, N'Golo Kante, who has done very well for Leicester and is kind of the unsung hero in their great success where they currently still sit top of the table. Uh, what was it in his play in France that kind of led you to see the talent that he's now showing in the Premier League? I mean, I'm not going to blow my own trumpet and say, yeah, I saw that Leicester would be top and he'd be the catalyst to it. I, I just <laughs> thought he'd be a very good signing for someone. I remember 12 months ago writing that, that Newcastle kind of should be looking at him for a move because of what he'd done in France. And, and basically with, with Colin, he got promoted from League 2 to League 1 and showed no signs of like having to adapt to the, the top division. He's driving forward. I think he led the league in interceptions. Uh, I was looking at some stats today. I think he eight again last night. And he's just doing what he does best. He sort of reads the game, gets the ball and pushes forward. And he's got that sort of boundless energy that I think you need in England. And it showed in France and Con knew they had a player uh, of some really good ability and they were like desperate to hold on to him last January knowing that they could get a good price for him in the summer Marseille wanted them but he he knew that he was going to go maybe not to a bigger club but to maybe a bigger league and you've got to wonder who's going to be looking at him now 
and how long Leicester can hold on to a player like that who's just been so good just so quickly as well. Yeah, uh, an article that you wrote that got a lot of traction for uh, Aston Villa highlighted a lot of their French signings, Veratu and Idrissa Guy and Jordan Ayew and Amavi as well. Obviously, Amavi's been injured. It took them a while to really get going, of course, under Remy Gard, who isn't a huge fan of what's going on at Villa. Uh, what's just been your take on that whole saga? I mean, I must say, I've not watched any of Villa's games at a lie because who wants to watch the worst team in the Premier League <laughs> if, you, if you're sort of deciding what to watch? Uh, and I saw Jordan Ayew got sent off last night for an elbow, which... <laughs> Elbowing a guy in the face, yep. It's just like, that. that's Jordan Ayew. Apparently he's been doing better, but he's he's, he's not at Lorient. He played as a part of two up front. And in England, you don't get that very often. So to me, I, I always wonder what scouts see when you see someone play as a two to think, yeah, he could play, he could lead the lane. So I know he's had some good games, he's had some some bad games, and that's what Jordan AU brings. Uh, Grisa Gay seems to be doing well, who was my favourite playing at, at Lille, obviously. And yeah, it's, it's a shame Jordan Amavi got injured because he was the one that was the, looking the brightest and he was adapting well and he's a fantastic left-back. And under Remy Gard, they're all going to be happier because he'll know them, they'll know him and what he brings. And so we're probably going to see more of what they're capable of in the championship, which could be a whole different test altogether. It was something they're not experienced before, and that's going to be quite intriguing to see how some of them react. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another player we had mentioned uh, the last time we spoke was Debussy and where he'd fit in with Arsenal and what it would take for him to get back into the France team. Do you think him moving back to France will bolster his chances at starting at the Euros? Oh, definitely. Especially because how weak France is at the right-back position. You've still got Bakary Sanya involved. Uh, Christophe Jali, who used to be involved years ago, is back in the fold. There's just no real options for right-back. Even you look at the 21s as well, there's no one really coming through. So Debussy at a really good club like Bordeaux, who knows right-backs better than Willie Sanyol. Uh, if he's going to get the best out of him, he's that's the place to be. And they're a good team that sort of, they're going to be pushing towards the top end of the sort of first half of the table. He gets games, gets minutes. He'll catch Deschamps' attention, and as long as he's playing and not sort of getting done every week, I can see him making it back in that France squad. He's still a good player. He's not become a bad player just because he's not played at Arsenal. Uh, yeah, I think he's made a good move uh, both for him and for his chances in the summer. Yeah, and then a uh, somewhat even stranger one, Stephen Fletcher moving to <laughs> France. What was that all about? It's uh, the, the well-renowned agent, Wally Mackay, who's got good links in Marseille. He was the one behind Joey Barton's loan move there. Marseille needed a striker since the last transfer window, and Marseille fans are a little bit upset that after sort of four or five months, the one they've come up with is Stephen Fletcher. And they tried to get Wissam Ben Yedder from uh, Toulouse, but they're in a relegation battle and were holding out for like 10 million euros. And Fletcher comes in on loan, no transfer fee. And we were joking on the, the FFW podcast last night that he's kind of got, there's a player called Brandao, a big Brazilian striker, and I was calling him the Scottish Brandao. He's, he's just going to be big and sort of get stuck in. And French defences aren't quite used to someone like that. Forwards are a bit more nippy and a bit more sort of a bit of gale. He's just going to try and bully people, and it gives Marseille a different sort of option up front. 
and uh, Michi Batshuayi, who right now is Marseille's only centre forward. They needed someone. I mean, you could you could have picked a hundred names. I would never have landed on Stephen Fletcher as one of them, but I hope as a, as a fellow Scotsman that he does well in France. It's going to be interesting to see how he settles in and throw some balls into the box and see how how they react. And it's going to be very interesting. Maybe it might be fun, maybe a disaster. Yeah, it's it's one of those moves you never know. It could just work. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see how that works out there. You mentioned a couple of forwards there in uh, Wissam Ben Yedder, who was linked to Tottenham a little bit this window, mm-hmm. uh, as well as Michi Batshuayi, who was pretty much linked to everyone, as has Lacazette. Which players like that are you thinking will be moving next window, either to the Premier League or elsewhere? Uh, I think all three of them will move. I think there's no doubt that Wissam Ben Yedder is going to leave Toulouse. Uh, they're lucky if they're going to stay up in league on. So that someone might get a bargain there. I'm not quite sure he's suited to the Premier League, which I've, I've written about before. Uh, like I said about playing with sort of one up front, he's he's small. He's not particularly strong as as a centre forward. He's not got that lightning pace. You can play him in the wing. I just I don't see where he fits at Spurs or really anyone else. And then maybe Arsenal's only one where you're a bit more fluid and a bit more interchanging the positions. I think he'd be probably more suited to Spain. Alexander Lacazette will move. In the summer, I think it's the worst kept secret ever. Uh, where he's going to go, I think, depends on his second half of the season. He's only got seven goals so far. He struggled with injuries and the way Leon have played, and uh, the disagreements he had with uh, the president Jean Michel Olas in the summer. And he's missing Nabil Fakir as well, who was a sort of partner in crime last season. If he can get some of those the form back and get some goals and get to the Euros, which would be a massive of indicator of where he's going to go, he may get his massive move, or he may have to move. And I mentioned this to some to Newcastle fans, that that move maybe isn't is not as fanciful as they may think. Because if he wants to get to the Premier League, maybe moving to a sort of mid-level club first isn't the worst idea, and then you get a bigger move after what eighteen months. So he's going to move. It's just it's up to him what he does before the end of the season as to where. And yeah, Mitchy Batshuayi who. If you look at his statistics, looks phenomenal. He's got 11, 12 goals this season. But it's because Marseille don't have anyone else up front. Even when he plays bad, he will play every game uh, unless Stephen Fletcher can unsurp him. And when you watch Batshuayi, you can see how good he is. He's good in the box. He's good running at players. But his decision-making is still quite poor. There's quite a lot of occasions where he'll chase down the ball and get it wide and then maybe look just to do the wrong thing quite often, he's still got a long way to learn. If you're going to spend 35, 40 million euros on someone, you kind of want them to be, to be ready to go. That's going to be interesting to see how he does once he leaves Marseille because that's a perfect level for him right now. He's not going to replace Harry Kane at the moment. He's not going to lead the line for an Arsenal or I think maybe a Liverpool. I'm, but jury's out on Batshuayi for me. He's definitely talented just not quite matured into that sort of complete forward just of yet. All right, and I, I didn't ask you this before we started recording. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. Who is a player <laughs> that we haven't heard of that you think could really become a good one in the future? Oh, God. Uh, <clears throat> there's one at Bordeaux. There's actually a nice article on French Week Weekly today called Adam Unas of Bordeaux. A really, that Eden Hazard style, low centre of gravity, quite small really good awareness of when he's got the ball, what's around him, sort of skipping past players. He's definitely one to watch and they're racking my brain trying to think 
who else? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> you put me on the spot, okay? You put me on the spot. I did. Well, that uh, that 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 was one more than I definitely knew at all. So we'll de- definitely it's... keep an eye out on him. Any kind of parting thoughts? No, I think they made some good moves in England. Uh, this window, you can, you can get drawn into sort of just buying for the sake of buying. Uh, some good players have come in. And yeah, there's going to be, I think, a lot more traffic in the summer, especially with the Euros being in France and all the attention's going to be there. People are definitely scouting league on, I think, more. There's definitely value there. And with the new Premier League money, I mean, what's value these days? You can spend 10 million and not even notice it coming out your bank account. So yeah, there's definitely players to sign. Uh, players like Sophie and Buffal from Lille, he'll end up going to the Premier League possibly. Even people from like from Angers who have an amazing season, Czech and Doy, Roman Thomas. I'd I'd say I'd put money on like twenty, thirty players moving from League One in the summer. Mm. That sounds like a lot, and we'll definitely need to watch out for all of those guys. And I look forward to talking to you about them when they do sign. <laughs> Thanks, Kev. Yeah, thanks for coming back on. It's a pleasure as always. We'd like to thank our guests again for coming on this week. It was a pleasure as always. 